podcast i'm jason and i'm duncan and i'm melissa Yay! <laughs> and this yeah. is game of microphones episode 31 it's our top three highlights this week of game of thrones season seven episode two stormborn and i think part of the reason why it fe- i mean they're just doing so well right now they're they're confident they're creatively awesome and they have yep. m- more money than they've ever had to do their production but I also think part of it is the show was so paced out in the beginning where they would take a long time for things to happen and everyone got separated and you kind of had an idea of people's trajectories, but you know, it was taking seasons for them to get there in a very entertaining way. But now that all this stuff is coming together, it's like we've had five or six years of foreplay and now we're finally getting to the stuff. (laughs) Five yeah. years of foreplay. You know? Oh my god, that's another uh, album name. We gotta write. That. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's more satisfying because we had to wait so long. Yeah, and that leads right into my number three, which Go is the it. tightening tightening of the story itself. And it's been super cool that we've been you know hearing these characters that have been apart or never interacted with each other or mentioned each other all of a sudden now all either together in the same room or speaking about each other. For me, it was really exciting to hear Jon Snow and Daenerys talking about each other. I know. and uh, Which is so cool. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just how everything's coming together. And we're, I've heard that this season, the actors have had more screen time than ever before, even though there's fewer episodes than any other season. And it's just because that they're all on screen together now. Mm-hmm. Right. So they're all sharing screen time. What do you guys think about that? The tightening. Yeah, it's like it's it's in this like total forward motion like the wheels are spinning like they never like they never have before um (laughs) and it's got to be really cool for the actors too because a lot of them you know they're getting to actually work with you know these other actors i'm sure they know but they've never filmed scenes with so right it's it's probably really cool for them to finally be like yay we finally get to actually work together (laughs) (laughs) yeah amelia clark's like kit harrington you're in this Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Oh, sorry. John and Sansa had never had a scene together until the end of last season. Really? They weren't really? in season one at all? Never together, no. Uh, oh, wow. Did not yeah, know so that. Their, yeah, their first screen time was, you know, partway through season six, which is pretty wild. Yeah. And I, I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but I kept, I was thinking John would end up going to Dragonstone to get Dragonglass and try to get danny to help them and now it's happening and i i so i i think just to say it again that they're going to end up in some kind of a relationship that will end tragically oh right. really yeah hmm yeah i know i was wondering how how this will all play out i mean and of course well she's like you know yes that's fine he can come and bend his knee you know it's like oh shit <laughs> not that yeah. he's like he's not you know he's not a very as far as being an egotistical king, he is not. 
Yeah. Um, but he might yeah, go for that. that. He has a responsibility yeah, to take care like, of... Oh, yeah. If he bends his knee and she neglects to fight against the White Walkers, you know, he can't risk that, really. But think about this, you know, bending the knee can mean more than one thing. Yeah, what does it mean? I'm, well, it means, will you marry me? Right. <laughs> I know oh. that's what you're getting at. Right. But uh, oh. what if... What does it mean normally? It means I pledge oh, to support you. Oh, it means that you. pledging fealty. And I think that's what she meant yeah, when she of course said it. That's she what had she a meant. very stern tone. But does uh, does uh, that mean that he promises to do whatever she says no matter what? Or or what? Um, it basically means that you'll come when you're called. Okay. Yeah, that yeah. You're, like, you become a subject of your right. liege lord or your, or your grace. And he's a man of honor, point. so he doesn't want to pledge to do something like that when he knows he's needed up in the north. Maybe. Right. Maybe. So the, uh, a way that they could get around that is by, you know, him bending his knee as a suitor. So then he would still, he would be king of the seven kingdoms or of the five and a half or whatever at that point (laughs) (laughs) with Daenerys. 5.72643. Yeah. And that was possibly set up last season when uh, Dario, she let him go and said that she may may need to marry someone over there for strategic reasons. And it may have even been more specifically foreshadowed by the scene after she rounds up in Marine the uh, the heads of the great families, feeds a couple to the dragons, and then keep, puts the others in some cells. And his dar Zalorak is one is uh, one of them, and she goes to visit him in his cell, and he's sitting on his knees there, and she's talking about how you know in order for her to really rule Marine, she needs to form ties, and uh, you know get allies and the best way to, to do that is through marriage and she says luckily a suitor is already on his knees right so he mm-hmm. he was a subject at that point bending the knee for a totally different reason but it ended up turning into you know a marriage related thing so right. that could have been foreshadowing john bending yeah. the knee and for a different purpose than he rises so melissa does it bother you that they're that she's his aunt um i mean if it was like a third cousin removed or whatever, I'd be like, yeah, pfft, go for it. <laughs> right. Wow, this is really saying a lot about me. Hey, I'm from the Ozarks, people. <laughs> We're all we third do. cousins, practically. That's right. Child <laughs> chomping cousin fuckers. Um, yeah, no, aunt is pretty. That's pretty. Mm-hmm. I don't. Yeah, I don't know. That's a little. I mean, the reason why it doesn't really bug me that much is because Targaryens are famous for allowing brothers and sisters to marry, so oh, that seems yeah. well, it's like different times. Yeah, it just seems like oh, this is further removed it's, than that. <laughs> it's so funny it is, that like is. this show has sort of softened some people to the concept of incest. You know, like like you right there, for instance. I know, I know. <laughs> you know, I I brought it up on the. Uh, and in our group, the Game of Microphones group, I mentioned that, oh, maybe they'll get married, you know, bending the knee can mean something differently, and people are, are still grossed out by the concept, so. I mean, I, I think <laughs> mixed reactions. in real life, maybe, I still wouldn't suggest that you go having kids with your aunts and uncles. No. But, um, no. Right. <laughs> no. See, the thought of that is, like, yeah. that's what probably makes it solid that I would they'd be weirded out by that. I mean, it's Game of Thrones, so sure, if they can get away with it. But yeah. in life... I would, I can't even go there. I can't even verbalize. (laughs) I just can't even put that into words. There must be some historical precedent. I don't really know my history very well. Oh, yeah. 
European yeah. history, kings and you know the royal families the royal would all families. intermarry repeatedly, yeah, so. and they're all related. Oh yeah, they're like yeah. That's why it's in <laughs> totally. there. I'm sure to keep the bloodline yeah, right. all right. Mm-hmm. All right. Did you have any more to say about that, Duncan? Your number three. Um, I think that pretty much covers it. You know, okay. Just the tightening of everything coming together is we, really cool. We took that far. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's really tightening to the point where people are marrying their aunts. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> so, uh, w- just before we go on, we didn't really say in general. It sounds like we all liked it. What did you think, uh, Melissa, of the episode in general? Oh yeah, I um, I I loved it. I mean, they'd have to really do something pretty far out for me to be like, eh. <laughs> yeah, me too. I know there hasn't <laughs> be been like an episode really yet. Off the mark. Yeah, maybe we should <laughs> even just skip that part. Maybe from now on, if one of us has a man reaction, just speak up. Otherwise, okay. we'll go straight into. Our <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> but I thought it was cool how everyone's kind of marshalling their forces for battle on both sides. Yeah, and then. We had the first first strike in the war. Yeah, and you know, speaking of that first strike, I think a lot of the one of the main causes of meh reactions for people has been the sand snakes, right? <laughs> you know, and so now they're like, you know, yay, two out of three. Now there's just the sand snake, <laughs> basically. So it'll be one third the meh reactions. It's called Stormborn, and I know that's because Danny was. Is called Stormborn because she was born in a storm, and now there's another storm at Dragonstone, and maybe it's about the birth of Danny's conquest of Westeros or something like that. Yeah, I, I thought that was really cool. The uh, the first line on a night like this, you came into the world. Tyrion says to to Daenerys, "I thought that was a pretty cool line." And Varys remembers the night and how the dogs were howling in King's Landing. <laughs> <laughs> cool imagery, poetic. Well, maybe I can, since you're starting with varies, I'll go into my three. Yeah. Um, was that awesome speech that, you know, she's like, basically, Daenerys is talking to varies. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of Y ending All names. these Targaryen names. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, basically, like, just challenging him, saying, are you going to fuck me over? I don't think I trust you. And I just really liked how he responded to her and yeah. reminded her that, you know, hey, man, I came from the the shit pile and, you know, I did what I had to do. And I don't know, it was, it was, a, it was a really awesome speech. And, you know, sometimes when people stand up to her, it doesn't go over very well. And then it ended almost on this weird sweet moment of her reminding him that if you do, you know, screw me over, I will burn you alive. But <laughs> right. she kind of said smiling and he was kind of smiling like, you know, <laughs> I would expect nothing less from the Queen of Dragons, you know. And right. So it was like this odd, like, kind of nice moment between them. But um, I don't know. It was a, it was a cool moment for um, a, just a different side of varies i felt like we saw um yeah i thought it was really good side of his character just in that bit yeah the uh you know he's like i don't i'm not loyal to any individual or you know person whose whose views may change on a whim i'm loyal to an ideology and loyal to the people and loyal to the the small folk and uh you know that's exactly what Daenerys is where her loyalty lies as well from everything we've seen. She cares about the slaves. She cares about the little people. So I think that Varys handled that perfectly. He's like, you know, if you want blind loyalty, you know, just, you know, 
have have Tyrion kill me now or so you know whatever feed me your dragons because I'm not going to be blindly loyal to anybody I, I back an ideology yeah and I can relate to that sentiment maybe he handled it almost too perfectly he knew exactly what to say <laughs> I don't know I, I, <laughs> I believe in him but she does have a point that uh, he hired assassins to kill her but even more so that he was ready to back her brother who he probably knew was weak and cruel and stupid and Mm -hmm. that's like yeah what about that you know like he told her incompetence shouldn't be royal rewarded with blind loyalty speaking about baratheon but then you know why bring viserys in to to replace him so i think she this needed to happen she she exiled jorah when she found out he was a spy so she doesn't take kindly to this kind of thing um right but I, I guess I believe in very these days he always seems very serious and true when he's talking about his motivations and he backs Daenerys and Tyrion, who we know are good hearted people. So I think he's a good person. But we've seen some pretty like clever moves on his part. And, and uh, Duncan, didn't you say he's one of the ones that doesn't have point of view chapters? Right. Yeah. George R. R. Martin has said before that there are a few characters who would never have point of view chapters in the books um, because, you know, the book is they're structured in a way where each chapter it starts out like John, you know, it's all from his point right. of view. And then it Catelyn, all her point of view. So he had said that varies, you know, you'll never hear his point of view. He'll never have a point of view chapter. Same with Peter Baelish. And he may have mentioned a couple others as well. But um, there's other book stuff that plays into this that makes the dynamics slightly different for various motivation, hmm. um, which I can't really get into here. But um, yeah, I trust varies at this point. Yeah, personally. I do too. Uh, another thing is he mentioned, you know, like you said, Melissa, that he came from the, what'd you say? The shit pile. And then right after that, uh, Melisandre comes in and she opens up by saying she used to be a slave. I think people know mm-hmm. to start with that with Danny because they know mm-hmm. she's sympathetic. <laughs> right. That's yeah. funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Varys did have it rough, though. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, yeah. sure. they, he's not yeah. lying. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, I, yeah. I think he's been. I think he's pretty, pretty trustworthy. That these are not necessarily that he's trustworthy, but these are his honest motivations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, for and that to be accurate. The actor is definitely playing it as if he were speaking honestly to just the way uh-huh. he's carrying himself. So if you were doing that and he actually isn't being honest. He would have to be a real psychopath Oh yeah, right. <laughs> to pull that off. Okay. My turn. So number three, <clears throat> Sam and, and, and Jora, I loved all that stuff with the peeling off of the grayscale. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> and it wasn't as gross to me as I think it probably was to most people because, uh, I just feel like, you know, I, I this is kind of silly, but it's I had satisfying. A, I had a really bad sunburn <laughs> a couple of weeks ago <laughs> and I oh. just want it off. I like, you know, I started peeling. I'm like, get that stuff off of there. So, yeah, it was kind of satisfying. <laughs> get that stuff off. Yeah. Of there. I said it was I I actually thought that too. Um, I was like, well, it's kind of like a scab. Yeah, or, it's like it's peeling. Yeah, peeling a scab or oh, but it's just oh, it's God. gross. Yeah, and it's, eating it. And then no, the, the ooey gooey. I mean, did they have to make it ooey gooey? Of yes, course. They did. Of course yeah. they did. See, this but is was, one thing I really love about the Citadel is 
at least I was expecting, okay, if there's one place in all of Westeros that's going to be really sterile and kind of quiet and boring and, right. and you know, just books, it's going to be the Citadel. It turns out it's like shit infested and we get these gooey scabs <laughs> and it's then we get organs being pulled out of bodies and yeah. it's this slimiest, grossest place. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my God. Which I love. Yeah, that whole that that whole scene, and then they, that was like one of two scenes actually uh, where they segued. They finished the shot going into another oh, shot. Yeah. <laughs> where you're the like, pot uh-huh. pie. Yeah, last yeah. last week it was poop to soup, and this week it was pus to pie. <laughs> Pie. That was so <laughs> disgusting. That part I was like practically gagging at because you don't want to think <laughs> about food at a time like that. And the food yeah. looked disgusting even on its own, not to mention. In a One of our listeners like wrote in the in the uh, group that, you know, it's, basically it's a rule like do not eat during Thrones. Do not eat in yeah. Thrones, I think they said. <laughs> <laughs> so I had some just about grayscale. We might have talked about this before, but I just looked up some facts about it. So it's it's conducted by touching someone else who has it. We knew that. Or by touching unsterilized objects that have been touched by the infected, which I mean, they had these like full body smocks and gloves on, but still... Uh, his face man uh yeah face was uncovered and sam passed yeah. over that rum and then grabbed it back and took a drink and i'm like dude uh-huh. be a little more careful <laughs> I, I thought the same thing i was like god dude mm-hmm. what are you thinking and then so it kills slowly often over many years and later stages it goes to the internal organs and then when it gets to the brain it can result in violent insanity as we saw with the stone men at um valeria so the archmaster says he just kind of guesses it sounds like but he's like he thinks it's 10 to 20 years before it will kill Jorah but 6 months or fewer before it gets to his mind so he doesn't yeah, really have geez. much time left yeah Ugh. also if you're infected you're in agony and you'll probably get shipped off to Valeria to live out your life as a stone man and even if you're cured like You'll probably be scarred for life. I don't know. Well, Shireen is scarred for life, but maybe with this new cure, you, your, your skin might be baby smooth or something. <laughs> Fresh. Fresh <laughs> Like skin. a spa treatment. Yeah. That's uh, one place where the show is actually giving a little compassion. Because normally in the Game of Thrones world, they would just kill you. I mean, like, you know what? We're going to ship you off to, <laughs> to live out the rest of your life. Yeah, uh, it it's like, like the, the lepers <laughs> from the yeah yeah Moloch, Moloch. Like the colonies yeah yeah. Um, so Sam wanted to cure him, I guess, because of his relationship with his father Jor, who they served together on at the wall, and Jor saved Sam's life probably more than once. And uh, he he finds this cure which is to remove all infected tissue and imply an ointment. Mm. And I love that the guy who wrote about the cure died of, <laughs> died of, grayscale. of grayscale. But Sam <laughs> decides to try it anyways and doesn't even Maester really Pilus. give Jorah the choice. He's just like, okay, we're doing this. And then the whole procedure I thought was filmed really well. It was tightly filmed and he kept going back to the book, which is like, that doesn't inspire confidence. You're looking at those instructions a lot. Yeah. Takes that. Jorah's like, have you ever done this before? Yeah. And takes that big swig of rum first and. Oh yeah. Has him bite down. Drink it all. 
Then I like that he had those like tweezers or whatever, and he goes and he just like starts to take out the smallest little piece, and Daryl's like, "Oh, yeah, right." <laughs> That's what I was going to mention that they've really introduced an element of comedy with Sam in these last couple episodes. Like, like he tells him, you know, you're going to have to bite this because nobody knows I'm here, and it'll be the end <laughs> for both of us. You know, they yeah. hear us, and the second he touches him with the blade, Daryl's like, "Oh," and he's like, "Shit!" <laughs> like right off the bat, it's super What's funny. It be like too? after an hour, yeah, it's, it's really funny. And they showed a lot of it. And yeah, I just thought the whole thing when they can uh, like same thing with the poop scene last time, which I probably liked way more than I should have or anybody else <laughs> liked. But when they can combine something that's kind of nasty and make it really funny and also kind of tragic and horrible at all at the same time, for some reason, I, I, I think that's an accomplishment. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And it's funny too. There's like, you know, there's a few funny things about this scene. There's uh, the, you know, him chastising him immediately for being too loud when it's like the procedure has just begun when he's sawing away mm-hmm. at the tissue, like hysterically. And then it was great when he, you know, he took that first big piece off and Jorah's like, oh. And then he looks over at him and he just nods, keep going. Yep, like, keep going, buddy. God. Tough oh, he's got to remove the entire upper layer of infected tissue. That's like three quarters of Jorah's body at this point. Do you yeah. think he's actually going to get cured? I uh, well, you do. I, I, I do think he probably is, but at the top of my page here, I have Sam to the, in parentheses, unlikely rescue. <laughs> I hope well, so. I don't know. Sam's a smart cookie. The, I got. The Archmaester, he like, it just reminded me so much of like our medical system, not to get political, but you come in there with like, well, I have this alternative treatment. Oh, no, 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 no. I'll never work. Don't try it. You know what I mean? It's just like, fuck it. Go for it, man. Try it. Right. And it did. It did work. But then he just kept it reminded me of establishment medicine of how things get shut the fuck down without even. I mean, you, you know. should absolutely try it if uh, there's no other recourse, especially there's nothing else right. to try. I just want to add one more thing. It seems like Sam's doing better. I mean, they might just just not be showing his um, bedpan disposal duties anymore, but maybe he's like moved on yeah. from that because we didn't see any of it this time. Yeah, it seems like he's doing more productive stuff, more and he high, seems confident in his uh, in his treatment here. All right, where are we, Duncan? Number two. My number two. My number two is Daenerys and the Westerosi lords. And we talked about her interaction with Varys. Um, she also interacts with Lady Olena with the <laughs> Sand Snakes. Um, she and Melisandre is not a lord, um, but she she you know interacts with Melisandre. I thought that she had a series of interesting interactions with all these characters. You know, Yara says that they should attack King's Landing immediately. Um, Ilaria Sand, you know, backs her on that idea. Uh, Khaleesi stands strong and says, you know, we're not doing that. We're going to, we have a different plan. She goes, you know, ends up explaining their, their multi-pronged attack. (laughs) They, unfortunately, they didn't factor in Euron's ships, which have, uh, you know, thrown a big wrench in their plan here. Yeah. But when that happened, the attack after it was over, Jenny was like, well, there goes plan A. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was fascinating to see them all around the table, basically planning over the taking of a whole country, basically. I liked the interaction with between Danny and Olena 
which is pretty cool. You know, Danny says, I'm not going to be queen of ashes. And Elena says that, well, you know, everybody loved Marjorie basically, but now she's ashes. Right. And um, after they explain the plan, they kick out all the little girls and, uh, and she asks Elena to stay and talk with her. And they have a cool little conversation there where Elena basically tells her that, you know, the Westerosi Lords are sheep. You know, you're, you're Tyrion's clever, but I've known a lot of clever men and I outlived them all by not listening to them. (laughs) (laughs) You know, she says, you're not a sheep, are you? No, you're a dragon, you know? That was another example of, uh, uh, like maybe the only other person to be, uh, to be able to speak with, uh, Daenerys that way. Yeah. Yeah. She was pretty, (laughs) she was pretty like, you know. I mean, she up was front. like that with Cersei, but yeah, she's just yeah, she's blunt. very upfront. But she blunt. was much more respectful towards Daenerys than she. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. She she totally. respects her. She's just trying to give her some good advice. She, yeah, she's speaking from a position right. of experience, but and and knowledge, and, and also uh, success. Daenerys pulled her aside, presumably right. because she could see, you know, she wanted to get her, you know, get her. Uh, on get on the same page and everything because she yeah she could see her wavering respects her too yeah and she said she said something interesting you know i know you're here because you hate cersei not because you love me and it's actually the same thing with uh alaria and it made me realize well you know wow she's got half of her army is the unsullied and the dothraki but the other half are there just because they hate cersei so actually cersei kind of helped uh daenerys quite a lot mm-hmm. <laughs> absolutely and, with her you know, bad she also, personality <laughs> yeah she also you know helped kill uh all of Jon snow's family basically so <laughs> there you go another person that'll potentially join danny out of uh hatred right. for cersei and that's mm-hmm. we got reminded of that by uh Tyrion that you know right. cersei has got more cause to hate cersei than you do right <laughs> and that that made me realize oh yeah john's not gonna that's another reason why he would not want to go and just bend his knee to Cersei. She fucking killed his whole family, basically, while right. the Lannisters yeah. did. She got his father beheaded. She conspired to murder his mother, or his, you know, alleged, well, his, uh, you know, stepmother and brother. Yeah, bad news all around. <laughs> basically. And uh, I loved when Tyrion said, for decades, Lannisters have been the true power in Westeros. And so that's why we need right. to go to Casterly Lock. It was just good to hear him say that. I don't think we've ever really heard anybody say that. But it's like, yeah, that's true. And so it's smart definitely to true. go attack them, attack them right where they live. Yeah. Robert's always been more into hunting and whoring than he has been ruling. And Tywin has been, uh, you know, the money power basically controlling everything. You know, he and Littlefinger... And uh, you know, Casterly Rock essentially has been propelling the uh, the kingship for a long time. Do you think? Uh, basically, this feels like Tyrion. You know, it feels like Tyrion's plan. And and uh, Elena saying, "Hey, be a dragon," and it's kind of like, yeah, you know, Tyrion had a similar uh, peaceful plan for Marine, and then next thing you know, all the ships from all the surrounding towns were launching catapults yeah Yeah. Uh, and the only reason why it worked out is because danny got there in time with her dragons so here he is again i mean it it absolutely makes sense to me that hey if you can just get everyone to be on your side because they hate cersei without having to fight too much then try that but we know this is a tv show and there's going to be big fucking fights so 
we know yeah. it's not going to work out. <laughs> All she's got to do is ride from keep to keep on the back of Drogon and be like, join me or die. You know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Basically. Plus, I want peace and I love the people, but I will burn <laughs> I you alive if you don't. will burn yeah. you. And speaking of um, the, uh, the, you know, telling Tyrion to send a raven to Winterfell, telling Jon to come, that her king is, or her, uh, sorry, his queen is summoning him and to come south to Dragonstone and bend the knee. That made me think of another piece of Westerosi history, which is kind of interesting. When the um, when the Mad King arrived in the first place, there was a king in the north who at that point was Torin Stark. And the Mad King laid waste to the, all the, the southern kingdoms. He melted Harrenhal and had Harren the Black bend the knee and scorched all these armies on the field of fire and just laid legendary waste to the south. And when he came up north, to treat with, uh, you know, the king in the north, Torrin Stark met him at a place called the Crossroads, I believe. I may be mistaken. There now, there's a um, an inn at this point, and uh, basically Torrin Stark, who is king in the north, they've you know head of a family that's been ruling the north for thousands of years. He decided to save the lives of his people and prevent the red gra- or the uh, the fields of fire from occurring in the north by bending the knee to Aegon. So. It wouldn't be the first time if John hmm. bent the knee to Daenerys that a king in the north has, in fact, bent the knee to and a that Targaryen worked? ruler. It did. Okay. Interesting. He, they entered the fold of the kingdom, and the north was left unscathed, essentially, but part of a greater, uh, you know, the greater seven kingdoms. Hmm. And I liked that um, they're using little, like, Dungeons Dragons pieces to... Plot oh, out their strategy, right. <laughs> just like Stannis was too. There's uh, little lions for the Lannisters. It's all their mm-hmm. sigils: <laughs> sun-pierced arrow for the Martells, dragons, of course, and roses for Tyrells. Those are the ones I saw. I don't know if there. And there's a ones. crowbar for Colonel Mustard and the. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then and there's the little thimble and the top hat. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> And Do then they had plans for everybody, except I don't think they mentioned the Dothraki, right? They were sending the Unsullied to Casterly Rock. Right. The Dothraki, I imagine, would uh, stay with Daenerys and guard uh, Dragonstone. So they're camped out all around if, the island right now? Probably. Yeah, if they don't have another task, I imagine that's what they'd be held for. And I thought it was really, uh, this is off on a different thing a little bit, but it was interesting that Jamie said this is the first time the Dothraki have ever been in Westeros in all of history. Right. That's kind of cool. Yeah, because they're, uh, they're you know, they, they don't trust any water that, they're, yeah. <laughs> that their horses won't drink. So they, uh, they, right. they're distrustful of the salt, the salt seas, basically. Okay. Whose turn is it? I think it's Melissa's. Melly. Is it me? Yeah. What? Um, okay. Gosh, we keep, we keep talking about all the things I was going to, uh, let's see. Um, I guess there was, there was a part when Jamie Lannister, uh, was talking to, oh God. Uh, Tarly, uh, Randall Tarly. Randall Tarly. Thank you. Um, it seemed like in the last episode, was it the last episode or maybe it was whatever. It just seems like Jamie's kind of like, eh, I don't know, sister. Like, he's. Uh, but then in this one, he was all like, you know, gung ho. He's on board. Gung ho, yeah. team, team Lannister. Uh, so I wonder if we're going, and I maybe, I don't know, you guys maybe already know this, but um, if we're gonna see an interesting uh, 
switch of... I don't know. I wonder if he's eventually going to turn on her, if he's going to fight with her to the bitter end. Uh, if if he's, you know, going to continue on his redemption arc, he's got to turn on her. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. That's kind of what I... This was like the episode where I was like, wait, I thought we were on a redemption arc. <laughs> I'm pretty sure whatever happens, it's going to be tragic. Yeah. Yeah. Although, I, you know, that's just like uh, even in the uh, scene on under the in the galley of the boat with Ilaria flirting with Yara, you know, mm. and she goes, sits on her lap. I'm like, one of them's going to stab another one. I just always think someone's about to be killed. You have Game I'm, of Thrones PTSD, yeah. basically. Especially with Ilaria, <laughs> too. She just can't be trusted. I know. So I, I just think everything will end tragically. But I just feel like with those two, especially, you know, with Cersei, everything in her life has gone to shit. So that's the only good thing she has left. So it's got to be taken away and destroyed. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Somehow. All right. Yeah, I was just, I don't know. I was a little like, huh. There's, um, yeah, I was also remembering, um, this is totally different, change the subject a little bit, but the other, there was the, the shot of the skin being peeled <sighs> and then the meat pie, but then there was also the shot where, this is, it's embarrassing that I don't know these people's names. Um, you know, Daenerys... Right hand woman and the unsullied the guy. And Thank you. Sunday <laughs> Oh, he he ate a different pie. Is that great warm? That's right. Well, no, he ate a different pie. <laughs> well, yeah, he did. And then he—that's so nice of him. He didn't have to do that anyway. Um, <laughs> I think he did have to. He didn't have any other options. Yeah, I think he did have to. That's true. Yeah, there were not other options. There's yeah, a few wonder, other options. I wonder yeah, what that. Ex- well, I now I'm just getting onto a totally different tangent because it's gonna be my like slash to slash whatever um strong sexual content in the <laughs> game of microphones yeah. podcast. <laughs> well at the end of that when he starts to go down on her um they shoot right to a scene where samuel is in the library and someone slides their hand into a slot to get a book out <laughs> yeah. it is, the hand is slid in there in such a way that you're like i would never slide my hand into a bookshelf like that that was extremely suggestive it's hilarious it was it was that. done on purpose and it, yeah. i don't even know exactly why it was effective but partly i mean it was the sliding into the slot sure but it was also just going from someone giving oral sex to a bookshelf is such a stark contrast <laughs> <laughs> yeah i th- i well, mean it was obviously you know, you've never worked in a library you've never had oral sex until you've had it with a bookshelf (laughs) (laughs) yeah next thing you know duncan's licking books (laughs) busted book liquor (laughs) um anyways uh yeah and that that whole scene i was just like i wonder how frustrating would that be because okay This is going to get into a, a castration conversation. Sorry, fellas. I think it was but coming, you know. Is it like it's all right. balls, <laughs> dick balls? What's going on? All of it? In the books, uh, it says root and stem. Oh, but no. oh. in the show, I think uh, that doesn't necessarily have to be true. And I, maybe there was a scene with Grey Worm. Oh, no, not Grey Worm. With Masande and... Uh, Danny where they were speculating on how many of his parts were left because she noticed that he seemed to have you know desire for her is it the pillar or just the stones yeah because if it was you know 
the pillar. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's then, both. Yeah, right? I mean, that's kind of what the whole point is, is there yeah. because the testosterone, the whatever, not, you know, the, the, all that. But I think it would stuff. be both, though, and in which case, um, yeah, the question com- comes up, well, does he have any sexual desire? Well, he obviously seems to have passion and love for her, and maybe he's just using that. Maybe that's not the same thing as sexual desire. But another thing I wonder is if the unsullied don't have testicles, which are what produces testosterone, is that really right. smart for a fighting force? Warriors. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, You're like, meh. Yeah. <laughs> Not really into this fighting. Yeah. Can't we just like hang out? Pass me my spear, yeah. please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I was. I don't know. I mean, again, that went on a totally different tangent from what I started my number two as. Um, but uh, I mean, I it's kind of got to be talked about. Yeah, what a, it has to be. Talked, what it, a, just, it cannot you know, be the elephant in the room. Simultaneously <laughs> sad and beautiful moment. Yeah, you know, where right. Gray Gray Worm opens up himself to her entirely and. Deals with his his shame, and uh, you know the look on his face is heartbreaking as she reveals it, and then she smiles, and then he smiles, and you know, realizes that they can potentially overcome He's safe. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it. You're right. It's what did you say? It was beautiful and sad, or yeah, because yeah. I I thought I was so happy for both of them, but also mm-hmm. like, man, I've never in my life ever wanted a man to be able to have an orgasm besides myself so, <laughs> so <much>. badly yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i just felt so bad for him it, it is a bummer it yeah. is a big bummer and again that's yeah anyways big big bummer especially when you got a you know a lady as beautiful as miss sunday knocking mm-hmm. at the uh, at the old um you know cock piece there cock and piece. she had like <laughs> this like total breakaway smock Oh, just let me get this. Oh, yeah, right. that's right. So that cool, was the man. other thing I was going to talk about. Is there like, wh- is this functional clothing for going, I mean, being out in the world? If, so, if you like accidentally like pull your string and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah. And he like literally it's like rip away vest or whatever he's. <laughs> I know it bordered on softcore porn, but I, you know, I liked it a lot because it was so. Oh, I did too. It was so um, tender and. <laughs> And it, it felt kind of real, like when they first got on the bed. It's a little, a little awkward, and they didn't even play any music at all, which I thought was a good choice because it just everything was literally laid bare, and and you could just hear their breathing. And, and then he goes down, and she's like breathing. And I don't know. It was just really sweet, but also sad. Yeah. And I wondered if they would actually show Grey Worm. Oh man, oh, I, I was know. too. I was really nervous for a second there. I yeah. was hoping they would. I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. That's why I'm asking all these questions. <laughs> well, that's my second one. And I, I looked up a little bit about it. And according to Go Ask Alice, uh, castration usually means removal of the testicles. At first, a man who's been castrated will have sexual urge over time. However, because he's no longer producing testosterone, he'll lose much of his libido or sexual desire. Medications can readjust the chemicals in the blood and bring back some sexual desire. Of course, that may or may not be available in the world of game of thrones probably not to an unsullied um but studies have also been done that show with increased stimulation a castrated man can actually get an erection have sex and mm-hmm. orgasm that's if they wow. had a penis but yeah sometimes not i feel like euron's been you know booting to the main vein um 
<laughs> bull shark testosterone or something. Yeah. So maybe he yeah, could hook up Grey Worm. Uncle Greyjoy is <laughs> right. all over the place with that shit. He's got yeah. some powders and things in his yeah, compartment. Yeah, he is like he can hook up Grey Worm everything. And... <laughs> um, and then Doctor Thomas W. Johnson, <laughs> Doctor Johnson, really a retired <laughs> cultural anthropologist and an expert on eunuchs said Ooh, that throughout history you know. there have been many instances of eunuchs entering into relationships having sex and marrying he says sexuality doesn't require an erect penis tongue lips fingers there are all kinds of ways for a male to be sexual with a woman they become far less sexual but they do not become asexual there's no reason why gray worm wouldn't be as loving as any lesbian similar techniques if necessary so <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Wow. Thank you, <laughs> sure. Dr. Johnson and Jason. Wow, that was uh, that's good. He's a male yeah. lesbian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was nice to see because that that had that's another like five year foreplay, you know. Yeah, and it's been going on. They, they kissed been... last season though. Yeah, right. That's oh. what I was trying to remember. I had forgotten, but it, it was when Grey Worm was injured. And, um, you know, when um, Barristan the Bold was killed and he woke up and he's, you know, he had said to Missande, you know, what was it? Uh, he's like, I, you know, when I died, you know, I wasn't, you know, I was, I was, I felt fear. And she's like, no, fear is normal. It's okay. And he's like, I was afraid I would never see Missande from North again. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. All right. What's your number him. one? My number D. one? My number one is Crazy Uncle Euron. <laughs> Black sails at midnight. <laughs> God, yeah. Yeah, that was epic, man. <laughs> Pretty cool to see a. I, I don't, we've never seen that kind of a battle at night among ships. Yeah. Right. Well, his fleet is black. Pirate battle. You know, black boats, black sails with golden krakens. I really thought it was cool how they incorporated into the design of Silence, which is, which is his ship. They they made it a trireme. Uh, you guys know what that is? Mm-hmm. I'm about to find out. Yeah, it's basically <laughs> <Sounds sexual. laughs> yeah, it does. It's, it is designed for penetration. Dirty. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's basically a, a a Greek or Phoenician design. Scholars are not sure um, where it comes from originally, but it's it's a design that that incorporates into the bow. A uh, a basically a ram like a battering ram that's at the waterline. Um, so these ships are designed to you know broadside basically other ships right on the side and crunch up their hulls and tear through them and uh, puncture them so that they'll sink. So um, you, you'll you guys will you remember obviously remember he basically rode right through that that ship and uh, with his with his battering ram yeah. trireme yeah. bow. Um, so I just thought it was a cool historical touch that they, you know, they incorporated a real form of ancient um, sea warfare into the uh, design of Euron's ships. Mm-hmm. And lots of catapults with wow. uh, one of my favorite things about the whole sequence was just how many uh, like firebombs, projectiles, like lots of uh, embers floating around and stuff. Fire everywhere. Yeah. They, uh, and that big teeth spike plank bridge that he came down on. Yeah, so cool, man! Thump! Wow! Yeah. Did we did we see at the end of that? I was trying to, and I had paused it. I was trying to figure out: are are all the daughters dead? All we the... see at the end, Obara is impaled on a spear above the uh, the bow, 
and um, Nymeria Sand is hanging by her whip from the uh, from the bow. Okay. And, uh, and Mama, then Mama's not. Alaria, Tyene, and Yara have all been taken captive, as far as captive. we know. Okay. Yeah. And, and uh, Theon's Theon. taking a swim. He's in the water. <laughs> Which, I mean, he didn't really have, I mean, uh, much, much I mean, choice. what the fuck was he going to do? Yeah. <laughs> Not so, Theon. Reek. Reek. Only Reek. But it wasn't, he wasn't going, you didn't see the wheels turning like, there's nothing I can do here. If I try to save her, I'll die. So I'm going to swim away and hope to fight another way. No, it was more like, fuck, yeah, I'm out of here. Total freak out, <laughs> breakdown yeah. into reek mode. <laughs> oh, so he probably brutal. didn't have a better move, but he was just full on torture. I mean, there was torture going on all around. And, and yeah. I think also Euron reminded him of how sadistic um, Ramsey was. Ramsey was. Um, yeah, he is another one of these unfortunate fellas that has undergone a very popular procedure in the game of yeah. Thrones. I know. It's, Jesus yeah, Christ. Going from eunuch to eunuch here. Jeez. I mean, I fully support all these women ruling now, but does everyone have to have their dicks chopped off too? <laughs> <laughs> oh. We get it, okay? We cool. <laughs> I just see uh, just Ramsey kidding. Bolton munching on a sausage. <laughs> um, it was interesting though they sort of zoom in on Yara's face there when Reek is or when Theon is reeking and and she has like a look of disgust that comes over her face again like fuck you know like what yeah. the hell Theon and it I sort of you well, said I mean, you were good to go do, yeah it, you know? it mirrored the uh, mirrored the Try. scene where Yara had tried to save him from the kennels at the Dreadfort and um, Reek had bitten her and refused to leave with her. He thought it was a trap, and she was. She sort of had a similar look on her face, like you know, he's lost. So it was a sort of a sad parallel, reliving that moment again. I think there was a scene early on where, like, one of the wildlings had uh, one of the boys, and Theon saved him. You know, shot him or something. So it's like, but this is different. Euron is. Yeah, I mean, I, I love that we see, okay, Euron, he seemed like a big talker, but he's actually, Hardcore. he put his money where his mouth is, so, yeah, you know, it, yeah. it didn't seem like it was going to be a very fair, or uh, it was a lopsided fight, probably. Oh, yeah. Thousand ships mm-hmm. to, like, 30. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or and even just um, Theon versus Euron, not to mention that he had a knife to his sister's throat, so, mm-hmm. yeah, what are you going to do, really? It's interesting that, you know, apparently Game of Thrones is sort of following the uh, typical TV trope of, you know, having one villain after another. One villain's dealt dealt with and another one pops up, you know, like we had the governor in, in Walking Dead and now we've got Negan. First we had Joffrey in Game of Thrones, then we ended up with Ramsay and now they're both dead and now all of a sudden we've got Euron coming out of left field. Mm-hmm. But none of the big bads beforehand, before Euron, like really got down and dirty and battled themselves. Like I yeah. guess, Unless I guess Ramsey did a little bit. Yeah, or the Hound. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, those guys get down. Anti heroes. Sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ramsey did a little bit. Like he was out there bare chested in the kennel when Yara was trying to save Theon. But he seemed to sort of hang back during the Battle of the Bastards and was just going through afterwards and finishing off the people that were still alive, like the sadist that yeah. he is. He would only get involved if the odds were already 
way heavily in his favor. And Joffrey was not on the front lines of battle <laughs> no either. <way. laughs> Tyrion tried to get him there. I miss Joffrey so much. Yeah. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> he's, such, he's so funny, man. Really. Yeah. Hilarious. I mean, I, my favorite character in uh, Seinfeld is George Costanza. So oh, yeah. I, I love just, George. I just I want to see George. I mean, George wouldn't be much different than Joffrey. <laughs> <laughs> George. Freed. Okay, is it my turn? Tez. Uh, who just went? I did. Oh no, no, it's Melissa. No, it's turn. it's Melissa. I'm sorry. Um, the we were just talking about this last week, the Dire Wolves. Right. And then the return of Amira. 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 Nymeria. Nymeria. Yes. Um. And that was really cool, and that was awesome. But then at the end, she was she said, "That's not you," but she was kind of smiling. What does that mean? What does it mean? I is that like a, a puppy? Okay. <laughs> I read an interview you. with uh, Dave and Dan, the showrunners, who explained this, and oh. they hearkened it back to a moment in season one where Eddard Stark was talking with Arya, and he was telling her, "You know, well, you know, you'll." You're gonna grow up. We're gonna find you a nice husband, a lordly husband, and you'll 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 have a your own castle and a keep and and all this. And she said, "No, that's not me. You know, that's not my style." Basically, so mm, she doesn't want to be domesticated. Uh-huh. It was referencing that um, yeah. you know Nymeria has her own pack at this point, and it wouldn't make sense for Nymeria to all of a sudden join Arya when she has her own responsibilities right. and her own yeah her own setup. Basically, at this point, she's not but I anybody's think, bitch. I think. It goes a little deeper than that. Even I think she she realized, oh, Nymeria is wild now, and you know she's yeah. not, that's not the life for her. Exactly. And, she, and I think she also realized that just at that same moment. And you know what? I'm not going to Winterfell. That's not me anymore. I'm going to kill Cersei. So I don't. You know, it, I'm not sure, but my suspicion is that in that moment she decided to go back to her original plan and go to King's Landing. I was wondering that too, but the mm-hmm. other angle of this is that Nymeria had her pack. That's true, yeah. You know, so that may have reaffirmed to Arya the, that she needs her pack. The way she played it, she was already headed for Winterfell. Right. She was camped out on the way, and the way she played it, it seemed like she was having a realization about herself too, but we'll see. Yeah, maybe. Not, I, yeah, yeah, it totally could be. It's really interesting, the sort of back and forth and plan changing with Arya this mm-hmm. year. She's in conflict. Yeah, because now that she's back in Westeros, it's like triggering all her, you know, she meets Hot Pie and everything. Yeah. And it's like re- remembrances of that. her old self. That's such an 80s name. That's like a name in an 80s movie. Like Hot Pie, you know? Hot Pie. <laughs> like the, the name of the dorky guy who I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Like something. he should be in Goonies or something. Yeah, or like Revenge of the Nerds or I don't know. Well, that was Hair Pie, but that's a whole other. <laughs> it was a funny story. and great scene. Yeah, yeah, especially the reference to her having made pie. That was cute. Yeah, th- right. I, I didn't catch that till the second watch. <laughs> He's talking about, you know, I brown the butter before I use it in the pie. Nobody does that. It takes too much time. She's like, oh, I didn't do that. He's like, oh, you've been making pies? She's like, one or two. You know, I fed Walter <laughs> Frey some of his sons in a pie. <laughs> and then she's like, don't get yourself killed. And that was, yeah, it did feel like an 80s movie. <laughs> yeah. Well, was- and that pie that she made with 
the remains of the humans actually looked like a really well-formed pie. So, it did. I'm just saying. <laughs> it looked like a, a pretty pro pie. It looked pretty tasty until you opened it up. Saw that thumb Yeah, a finger. Right oh, <laughs> it was nasty. I liked um, how you could see in Arya's behavior during that scene with Hot Pie, too, that she was totally a different person than she was um, the last time that she had been with Hot Pie. She was acting very houndish. You got any ale? Just grabbing <laughs> shit. Yeah, 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 she was like grabbing, reaching Scarfing across the table. Down. I was like, wow. wow yeah, and she seemed bold. really like kind of blue, like... And then, uh, but yeah. still, he's like, I can't believe I thought you were a boy. You're, you're cute. Yeah, yeah, that's so it. funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she was really melancholy and different. And I, I was very touched when um, Hot Pie said, well, I thought you'd be at Winterfell. You know, and she's like, uh, idiot, why would I be at Winterfell? Yeah. The Boltons hold it. He's like, the Boltons right. are dead. Oh, yeah. Jon Snow came down from the north and took what? back Winterfell. He's the king of the north now, dude. <laughs> like the way her face lit up because she had lying. such a connection with with John. Remember, yeah, back in season one. I'm glad one. she's going back. And they cover that in the books there, a lot but... too. Uh, like John is always thinking about how he would, you know, mess mess up Arya's hair and like the connection that they had. It's uh, there, there may be some incestuous type stuff going on there actually. Oh, apparently. No, uh, come is on. it? But apparently, it's not, but George it's not, though, Martin's original. Not really right, they'd be cousins. But uh, yeah, I guess according to George R. R. Martin's original plan, they were going to fall in love. Oh, wow. <clears throat> huh. Well. But yeah, things changed quite drastically. But he, uh, it's interesting at certain moments, like when he sees a grit, uh, he thinks of Arya or, you know, things like that. So there's hints that there's like some type of little like thing between him and Arya, but it may not be, you know, an, an intimate type thing. It could just be that they love each other. And on the show, mm-hmm. it is, you know, there's no hint of anything like sexual or anything like that, obviously. But I, I thought it was really cool that she finally found out that John's back. He's the king in the north. Mm-hmm. You know, Sansa's there with him. They killed the Boltons. Winterfell is the Starks again. Huge yeah. revelations, like the life-changing information for Arya. Yeah, yeah that, that, that was a good day for her. That was yeah, a good really day. good day. She got to see hot pie. <laughs> that was a good day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. My number one is transitions between scenes. And you guys mentioned the two like big, great ones. Right. The one going Pus from. Pie. Yeah. Pusta pie. And then Masande and, uh, and uh, Grey Worm to the book thing. The books. So then. It made me want to look and see uh, all the transitions. And this episode, I think they're all they all flow really well. But just paying close attention this time, I was really impressed with how every scene flows into the next. And there's a reason or an art to the transition. So I'm going to go through them. So, yeah, let's see. Right after uh, Danny says she'll burn Varys alive if he betrays her. Melisandre shows up, who is famous. Oh, for- fire. Yeah. <laughs> then when Danny invites Jon Snow to come to Dragonstone and bend a knee, it cuts right to bow practice at Winterfell with an arrow missing this target, which I'm, I'm like, does that suggest that she's off target? Successful. Maybe what you're saying, Duncan, it's yeah. going to be bending a knee, but not exactly the way we think. Um, then the White Walkers, uh, Davos says, if the White Walkers break through the wall, do we have enough men to fight them? then cut to Cersei saying if the Mad King's daughter takes the throne, she'll destroy the realm as we know it. So it's like dire possibilities on both sides. Yeah. 
then Jamie says to uh, Randall Tarley, when the war's done, Cersei will need a new warden of the South. I can think of no better man than Randall Tarley. Then we cut right to Sam. So it's like, hmm, hmm are they saying? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it might just be because it's his son, but also maybe that's a clue that he'll be warden of the South. Then oh, Sam, wow, that'd be wild. Yeah. The Sam asks Jorah if he wants word of his condition sent to his family, and he says, I've been dead to them for years. And then we go under the castle of King's Landing with old dragon skulls dead for years. Oh, my God. Yeah, wow, you really put this together. I yeah, could be just making man. some of this up, but we'll see. <laughs> then uh, Kyber shoots the skull of uh, Aegon's... Balerion. Dragon Balerion. Then we Balerion, cut- the Black Dread. Yeah. Most legendary dragon in, in Westerosi history. Yeah, and we'll, I, we should talk more about that. But then cut to Yara, who says... Uh, you know, if you want the Iron Throne, take it. We have an army, a fleet, and three dragons. So it's like tension over preparing, both sides preparing for war, and, and a mention of dragons right after a demonstration of how to kill dragons. Wow. Wow. <clears throat> then there's Lady Olena talking to Danny. Are you a sheep? No, you're a dragon. Be a dragon. Then you cut to Grey Worm sharpening his sword. He's, I would say, it's like him being a dragon. That's his version of being a dragon. He's a warrior. Mm-hmm. Then there's, of course, the one we talked about, a oral sex to bookshelf. Slut to slot. (laughs) (laughs) Then there's uh, Archmaester. The Archmaester tells Sam that the procedure is too dangerous and that's why it's forbidden. And then we cut to Sam coming in to conduct said procedure. (laughs) Yep. Then, uh, oh, that's the next one is the pussy scabby skin. And then we get to this pot pie milky glob of pot pie bean if i wouldn't have seen the skin i would have actually thought that pot pie looked really good <laughs> i know I you said it looked, gross. It. It looked yeah. kind of like just nice and... reading pie again it looked like pudding maybe yeah it was just it was like pudding probably pie. had like heavy white. cream and butter in it and flour and and then to yeah. make it even more gross, the like guy that takes the bite like spills all over his beard, his and he's beard. like, <laughs> 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 "Yeah." <laughs> that would have been an interesting scene to go into after. Oh God, I'm just taking it there, but I'm <laughs> the <laughs> oh, God. the sex scene could have easily have cut into that guy with. Right. Never mind, you can cut that out if, uh, if you so desire. <laughs> uh, That's I love hilarious. You know. That's hilarious. <laughs> okay, then there's uh, John finding out, or no, Arya finding out that John's king of the north, and she decides to head to Winterfell. Cut to John reading a message from Sam that will lead him away from Winterfell. Yeah, that's so, sad. Yeah. Then there's John proclaiming he's uh, that Winterfell is under Sansa's charge. She's the only Stark left, and Littlefinger looking really happy about that. Then you cut to John underground looking at what used to be the Stark Patriarch Ned's sarcophagus and Littlefinger's coming in to try and manipulate him. I got one, two, three, four, five more. Then you got wow, uh, awesome. John saying to Littlefinger, "You talk to my sister, I'll kill you." Then you cut to John leaving and waving bye to his sister, who will no doubt soon be talked to by Littlefinger a lot. Yeah. Then you have Sansa watching John ride off, and then you cut to Arya uh, camping along the way to meet meter and you and you could hear wolves howling right at the beginning of that too which was and then it kind of faded out but then they came then Sansa asks Nymeria to come 
with her back to Winterfell and then Nymeria returns and then Sansa says, that's not you. And this one I, I couldn't figure out at first because the next scene is Yara ships. Uh, and I'm like, how does, how would those two be connected? Maybe they're not, but then you have the sand snakes talking about who they'll get to kill. I want Cersei. I want the mountain. And so that felt like an aria, you know, she has her list right. too. Yeah, then funny. we have, uh, Obara and Nymeria Sand teasing Tyene. Oh, you want your mama? I keep talking about mama. Then they cut to the mama, Alaria, flirting with Yara. And uh, finally, this isn't really a scene to scene, but I thought it was funny when Alaria said to Yara, it seems like you don't need a protector. And then, boom, the ship gets attacked. Mm -hmm. And she did need a protector. <laughs> As it turns out. <laughs> so nice that's job, my Jason. Number one. Thank you. So what else? There was a lot of throwbacks. Yeah. All dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes. Yeah. That was really cool. Um, I liked how that how he threw that line in there so John it was, would know it was really him. And that's a reference to? Um, to the first time that they meet when in episode one of the, the pilot episode, <laughs> the Starks throw a feast in honor of King Robert arriving at Winterfell. John is supposed to eat away from the dais, um, you know, in his bastard seat while the Starks are eating up there, the king. And he's sort of just outside wailing away on a dummy with a sword, being all all mopey and pouty in typical Jon Snow fashion. And Tyrion approaches him and says, you're Ned Stark's bastard, aren't you? And he's, you know, he gets all mad because he called him a bastard and... To, to sympathize with him, Tyrion says, you know, all dwarves are bastards in their father's eyes. So it harkened back to the first time he met Tyrion. It was a little thing that mm -hmm. he could say that would let Jon know it was Tyrion and not an impersonator. Mm -hmm. And that's especially good because it's kind of like saying we're kind of the same. You know, he's trying to yeah. have rapport. And then there yeah. was Jon choking Littlefinger. And I saw, I think you'd posted Ned did yep. the same thing. <laughs> same thing. <laughs> when they're, they're, uh, Littlefinger's leading him to the brothel where he's got Catelyn Stark um, hit, like hidden in secret to meet Ned. And he basically says, oh, I've got her in the brothel. And Ned's like, are you fucking kidding me? And spins him around, slams him up against the wall, chokes him out. Like, are you, if you're fucking with me, like, this is like you bring my wife to a brothel like you know <laughs> those two shots with ned choking out little finger mm -hmm. and he reaches up with one hand on each side and he's trying to like pry his fingers loose with both of his hands from his neck the same exact shot they used for for john snow strangling mm -hmm. little finger where you can see his hands prying away and he's got the same facial expressions <laughs> same like third person resident evil style over the shoulder camera angle <laughs> they perfectly match each other i thought it was a really really cool throwback and John, nobody knows that Littlefinger conspired, I mean, right. against the Starks yet, right? Nobody so knows. John just has a sense about him, right? Yeah. Well, Littlefinger is known to the Stark family. He was in love with Catelyn and tried yeah. to duel Brandon Stark for Catelyn's hand. And uh, Cat, uh, Brandon cut him from neck to navel with his sword. And after that, he was shipped off to live somewhere else. Um. But so they they know of Littlefinger well, and he's they everybody like sort of has their own opinion in the Stark family about him. Nobody really likes him, so mm -hmm. I'm sure that Ned's heard a few or uh, Ned that John's heard a few things. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I yeah, and I think he also just doesn't like the smell of him. 
Absolutely. <laughs> you know. Yeah, he knows but, his reputation as well, for sure, his modern reputation. Yeah, and yet he left him alone with Sansa, and I think that's going to be a bad yeah. thing, a big deal. <clears throat> yeah. Without, like, he should have had Davos, or I think Davos went with him. Should have had someone told him, you know, keep an eye on Littlefinger. Uh, what yeah, about? Yeah, I know. I was wondering that too. I wonder what's gonna end up happening between Littlefinger and Sansa. Yeah, Sansa. We'll find out. I'm sure. What about the whole uh, prince who was promised? That was pretty cool. How the translator was the one to correct the gender of that could right. be a woman too. That applies to the books as well. Uh-huh. It's like uh, in uh, Star Trek, where every all the captains are sir, whether they're male or female. <laughs> saying, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Podrick calling Brienne sir, sir, or Melania, and or what? I, she was so. I mean, Mel, that was with the conversation with Melisandre. Danny was so uh, open to her because she liked the servants of the Lord of Light in Essos uh, helping her, but if she knew that what Melisandre had done, especially burning Shireen alive, but other things too, I wonder if she would be so welcoming of her. And, and I think she doesn't realize that Melisandre actually thinks that Jon Snow is the prince who was promised. Right. She was very careful with her language there. Yeah. Lord of light. I feel like you have a part to play as does another, you know, (laughs) Right. After her, after her, her whole thing with Stannis, I think Melisandre's being more cautious with the way she interprets prophecy in general. But I she was definitely that. being uh, very cautious with Daenerys here. Pretty interesting interaction between mm. those two. It's cool to see Sam's father coming into it a little bit. That'll set up some conflict, I'm sure. But also, it showed he had some integrity because he's trying to stay loyal to the. Uh, Tyrells, even though, yeah. but he just fears Cersei, I guess. Right, and we kind of sneakily were told that what a great military commander he is by Jamie mentioning that he's the only commander to have beaten Robert Baratheon in the field. Only the one only, ever, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is pretty wild. So he must be pretty awesome. What is that about? I don't remember that. Is that um, like history? Yeah, it was during Robert's rebellion. Um, okay. Yeah, basically, he's the only guy to win a battle during that war against mm-hmm. Robert, who went undefeated for the rest of the uh, the war, killing Rhaegar, taking King's Landing, doing everything. And then there was the whole going underground and seeing all the dragon skeletons. And yeah, I looked up that one big dragon that they were testing the weapon out on. And that's, as you said, yep. Balerion. He calls it Balerion the Dread. And that's the yeah. dragon that the original Aegon Targaryen rode across the sea to conquer the Seven Kingdoms hundreds of years ago, and then yeah. used its its breath to forge the Iron Throne from swords surrendered by the lords offering fealty after that war. Such, yeah. Oh, man, so cool. A lot of history. Most, is also the largest dragon ever in Westeros. Um, monstrous in size. You saw how big that skull was. Um, I've been waiting to see if we would ever see Balerion's skull because in the first season, Arya was down there hiding and sort of spying on Varys and Illyrio Mopatis as they're talking about, um, you know, killing Ned and and uh, propelling Daenerys and Viserys um, into the you know the the, the game. But uh, yeah, it was just really cool to see Balerion. Yeah, maybe they, 
you know, in the books they call him the Black Dread. Maybe mm-hmm. they left that out so they wouldn't he could be confused with Drogon, who's also mm-hmm. black. That's the other significant thing about Drogon, D- Danny's dragon, is that he seems to be like the reincarnation of Balerion, mm-hmm. big, huge black dragon, mm-hmm. um, just super badass. <laughs> and I think he's going to get bigger next season. Oh God! Damn, <laughs> it's going to be terrifying. Oh man, and that that ballista. So, Kyburn has you know mentioned that the uh, the greatest craftsmen and, and you know weapon makers or whatever from from the King's Landing had been working tirelessly to create these ballistas. Uh, apparently, you know, in, in in fantasy in the genre, I guess ballistas like that are the only only really successful way of fighting dragons. Commonly, apparently. So, <laughs> so hopefully that doesn't they need a whole bunch happen. of them. Yeah, whole and, bunch and it, of them. Yeah, a whole bunch of them with skilled operators who can reload them and stuff. And that sh- that shot right into Balerion's eye broke right through his oculus. Yeah, right into the brain. Ouch! So that does not bode well. <laughs> Ouch! Yeah, not bode well for our dragons. There's one more thing I wanted to mention. Um, this uh, book. A chronicle of the wars following the death of King Robert the first, the Archmaster's writing. And, <laughs> yeah. And uh uh Sam winces and he's like, You don't like the title? I thought it was cute to see him insecure about his title because he was just talking about how you need style to write. <laughs> yeah. To have good research, but also style. And Sam says something a little more poetic. And that does make me think that maybe the poetic title is A Song of Ice and Fire and maybe Sam is writing it and maybe mm. he's making up the stuff that he doesn't know because he just got the advice that you need to do research but also have style. And the guy, you know, he talks about the writer that had style and invented half of the stuff in the book. Huh. So who That's knows? Really interesting. <laughs> yeah, that goes along with our... Um our listeners theory that Sam is the narrator. Yeah. And yeah. it sort That's of cool. also parallels with uh J.R.R. Tolkien with Bilbo Baggins writing there and back again. Mhm. Oh, one other cool thing um in that scene where where uh, Cersei was shooting Balerion's skull with the ballista, mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys noticed, but it was a modified version of Light of the Seven that was playing the <laughs> no, same song. Oh, I meant to- Somebody read oh. that. I didn't go back and listen. I didn't catch yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, it's awesome. The same song as that was playing when Cersei blew up the sept. Can't so that's like Cersei's that. conquering theme, basically. At this point, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh oh. That that doesn't bode well for the dragons because last time does not. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. That's good. Let's take a little break. There's more to come. Stay with us. So, first in the news, we have an article from Gizmodo. Machine learning predicts characters most likely to die in Game of Thrones. <laughs> there is a guy named M- M- Milan Janosov who works at the Central U- European University, and he works in 
algorithms and social media stuff, I guess. But he basically created a social network between all the characters of the show. It tracks how much time they've spent on screen together. It, account, it, it accounts for all the characters who have died. Apparently 61 characters have died. Um, it's, quote, an aggregated network of the realm's social system. He says... In this network, each node represents a character of the story, and the weight of the link between each pair of characters symbolizes the strength of their social interaction. I considered scenes to be the elementary units of the social interaction. An average episode contains about 20 of them. In other words, scenes are complete graphs, or clicks, increasing the tie strength between all the pairs of people present by one. By calculating these scene-level complete networks and then aggregating them, we arrive to the global social network of Westeros. So... Using this, apparently, he, he claims that you can use social ties and conversations to look for similarities and consistencies and predict who will die um, and who will, you know, who, will, who will survive. So who do you guys think is the most likely character to die this season based on this algorithm? <laughs> God. I will guess blindly and say uh, Jamie. Nope. Jamie is like like number fourteen ish. About <laughs> what about you, Melly? What would you guess? Oh God, um, Theon. Theon is actually the least likely character of all to die. Oh, according to this. <laughs> wow! <laughs> Can't believe that. I must lovers, win something for um, that. <laughs> yeah, lovers of dragons and the mother of dragons may be upset to know that this this predicts that Daenerys Targaryen is the second most likely character to die with a 91% probability. Whoa. Um, yeah, and the most likely character to die apparently is Tyene, who's the only surviving sand snake at this point. <laughs> Grey Worm is number three. Robin Aaron's number four. Mm. Podrick Payne is number five. Further down the list, you have Arya Stark at like number nine, Sandor at ten. Jamie's at like 14. But yeah, Daenerys is apparently the most likely to be killed. According so to this. Did, has this uh, machine learning algorithm been used to correctly predict deaths, like say for season six? Let's see. I think that it does. I'm highly skeptical. I'm feeling um, a little bit like if this is true, then I don't like that machine. <laughs> Can you run that on my family? <laughs> <laughs> you are the first to oh god oh damn it <laughs> another team from germany performed a similar exercise before the premiere of season six people have and time the data for this correctly shit? foretold the demise of Domin, tommen and stannis baratheon who ranked one and two respectively on that list oh my god oh. so apparently wow, there's <laughs> similar technology has predicted uh accurately outcomes right. from previous seasons which is horrifying <laughs> yeah We'll see. All right. We'll see. Number two, as you guys know, San Diego Comic-Con was held over the past week. Yeah. And some interesting stuff came out of there. It, um, one of the interesting things was that, you know, every year beforehand, Game of Thrones had just wrapped up at the time of San Diego Comic-Con. So they would have a lot to talk about during the panels. This year, there had only been one episode that had aired yet. So there was not a lot of current plot stuff to talk about during the, uh, the panel, but there was still some interesting stuff that came out. 
Uh, Sophie Turner was asked if she thinks Sansa is being manipulated by Littlefinger. She said maybe at one point she was, but by now she's been around so many devious people. She's just as good at manipulating as uh, as he is. So that's interesting to get Sophie Turner's take on that. Maybe it won't Mm -hmm. be too bad of a thing for Littlefinger to be left alone with her if that's the case. And not only that, but the fact that not only does she not say, oh, no, she knows how to spot someone like that, but to focus on that she's just as good as manipulating might mean that there's some Santa manipulating coming up too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that would be awesome. (laughs) Gwendolyn Christie. Oh, and another little interesting thing. Hodor was moderating this panel. Hodor. Christian Nairn. And did he just say Hodor the whole time? (laughs) (laughs) Nobody could understand the question. And they're like, well, politically, I think that. So, uh, Gwendolyn. Yeah, Hodor. Gwendolyn <laughs> Christie says that the reason Brienne is so loyal to the Starks is that in Catelyn Stark she saw tr- the true strength of of woman, and um, when the characters met, Brienne realized that she didn't have to be masculine to be taken seriously. She could quote be propelled by her own sense of what is right. So by helping the Stark girls, Brienne is quote connecting to an idea that's greater than herself. So I think that was cool that she was, um, you know, Brienne or uh, Gwendolyn Christie sort of illuminated the idea that it was the first time that she had met a real strong female in the world. And it kind of changed her view of um, what what strength is. Yeah, because you might think that she should act kind of manly, but she's just tough. But she doesn't seem like she's trying to act like a man in that role. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. So it's kind of a cool revelation. Um, let's see, Sophie Turner has a a, a joking response while talking about Sansa's current worldviews. She says, she's woke now, guys. She's real woke. She's woke. (laughs) (laughs) Turner thinks her character is done with any real romantic love because of all she's been through and is probably incapable of trusting anyone, which she says is probably important when you play the Game of Thrones. John Bradley explained that Sam is at the Citadel solely for the purpose of aiding his new friend or his friend John Snow. He thinks Sam wishes he could stand shoulder to shoulder with Snow in war, but knows he can't. So instead, he went to the Citadel to find any information that would help John win his war. The Citadel is his bat- battlefield, Bradley said. Nice. Yeah. Um, people yeah. have, you know, obviously been making a big deal of the the crush that Tormund has for Brienne. And and Gwendolyn Christie said she doesn't think Brienne likes it too much. She finds it awkward, but doesn't deny that there is some potential secret enjoyment in it. Awesome. Yeah, uh-huh. she may end up liking him, or according to Christie, she may still like someone else. Wonder who that oh, could be. Jamie Lannister. <laughs> um, earlier, Jason, you said that you know you miss Joffrey, and that kind of made me think. I do this, which uh, the whole cast was asked which dead character they'd like to bring back. And the best answers were from Sophie Turner and John Bradley. Turner said Joffrey because she loved working with actor Jack Gleason so much. He Actually, he's, he's a really cool guy. Um, don't judge the actor based on that role, for sure. It's a total opposite. And John Bradley said that he wished they'd never killed Jon Snow because then he wouldn't, then he wouldn't have had to talk about it every five seconds for a whole year. <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> which is pretty True. Funny. that's good uh finally sophie turner was asked about her relationship with john 
She couldn't say much as it will obviously be a big part of the current season, but what she would say was that her character is definitely frustrated by the sexism of the North in their culture mm. and hopes that John realizes how much more experience and how much better she is at the political side of, of ruling a kingdom than he is. She said that John's a military man, she's a politician, and Sophie Turner hopes that they can each, you know, take advantage of each other's skills to be co- to form a cohesive mm. ruling unit. We didn't talk about it, but I thought probably I could understand why nobody wanted John to go to Dragonstone because a, a Lannister and a Targaryen are asking him to go and they need him there and they haven't had good experiences with Lannisters and Targaryens or recently. Targaryens. Um but he knows Tyrion, so it makes a difference when you know someone personally and he knows he can trust him. And I was proud of him for uh, staking to his guns. Right. But but also, it could turn out to be the wrong decision. You never know. But also, he's the only person at Winterfell who, A, has seen the White Walkers, yeah. and B who is a king that Daenerys will take seriously. Yeah, he doesn't right. really have much of a choice. Yeah, yeah it yeah, seems like the of. right thing to me. And I, like to I go. said, it was so cool because not one person supported him, not even his sister, and yet he still stood firm. So I'm like, man, he's really right. come into his own as a king. And uh, Tyrion had said to Daenerys this episode, you know, I I can't speak for prophecy or for the f- for the flames, but I, I know, I've met Jon Snow. I liked him and trusted him. So Tyrion trusts Jon Snow. If t- they joked about grumps and snarks or grumpkins and snarks beyond the wall and the, these stupid like rumors and legends that Tyrion was mocking and Jon Snow was laughing about when they had visited at the wall together. And so if Jon comes down now and says, "Look, I've seen the army of the dead. You know, this is no joke." That I think Tyrion um Tyrion's opinion of John and his experience with him will make Tyrion be more likely to believe John and yeah, Danny's experience helpful. with Tyrion. Yeah. Tyrion believing will be make, will make Danny more likely to take it seriously because she takes Tyrion re- really seriously. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's important that it's it, John that goes when, uh, they were telling Danny about John and they said, uh, he marshaled, you know, the forces of the wildlings to help, uh, take back Winterfell and she said he's quite a man she looked kind of threatened but also I think that reminded her of what she did with the Dothraki so right I think that yeah that was sort of an attractive thing for her Mm -hmm. like wow this guy you know he cares about the little people he saved the wildlings Mm -hmm. and he's also a good enough ruler to to convince the north to unite with the wildlings right so he's simultaneously a threat and also potentially a great ally Slash husband. Slash husband. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And a nephew. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Husband slash nephew. Uh, So I guess um, they aired a a teaser trailer at Comic-Con as well. And um, I didn't watch it, but I heard that the big big commotion that people got out of it was that it showed Melisandre with Daenerys. 
So that was this week that we got that. <laughs> Everything is about sex for me on this episode, apparently. <laughs> I mean, they're already together, so. Yeah, they're already together. Like, that together? Was, the Comic-Con trailer was oh, before oh, that oh, aired. Got it. So got that it. was the other thing. and We did see that come to fruition this week. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> and people listening. Um, How much more I'm, together can they get? This week on Walking Dead cast, uh, it may already be out as you're hearing this, or it might be out the next day, but. The whole episode is just talking about news that came out at Comic-Con. So we'll cover some of that Game of Thrones stuff. Plus so much came out this year. So we'll try to touch on a lot of it. Nice. Oh, Melly, speaking of your uh, obsession with the sex on the show at this moment, um, (laughs) I I heard a couple other... Yeah, I heard a couple other podcasts and people discussing how the uh, the amount of sex position has decreased drastically on this TV show. Um, there's one guy that I, whose videos I watch, Angry Joe on YouTube, and he does reviews of things, really funny uh, stuff. But he had almost, he'd come very close to waging his reputation on the fact that we would see zero pairs of boobs this season. So, so a lot of these people that thought the sex position was gone were probably, you know, I want to hear what they have to say after this episode. There's still boobs. <laughs> I would say that there was some boobs, but no sex position in this episode because sex position is about when a piece of information needs to be imparted and to make it more interesting, they add naked women. And that right, wasn't right. what the scene was about. It, <laughs> yeah, was, it was a naked woman scene. Technically, it just wasn't about that. It was it was about their relationship and they weren't trying it was to... character like, development. Yeah, yeah. So, right. so yeah, you could argue that more of a joking position, but... joking comment from my part. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was funny. Got it. Um, okay, so some more Comic-Con news. Brienne of Tarth, Gwendolyn Christie, was asked whether, considering she has been in Game of Thrones and Star Wars at this point, mm-hmm. she was asked whether she thinks that Star Wars fans or Game of Thrones fans are crazier. <laughs> And she gave a diplomatic answer saying it's not really a craziness, but the level of passion is pretty much equal between the two. So she didn't. (laughs) Yeah, I think think she's probably right. Uh, We also have some more an update from uh, from George R.R. Martin as to the release of The Winds of Winter which is the next book in the A Song of Ice and Fire series, number six, the penultimate release, um, The Winds of Winter, which will be followed by A Dream of Spring. He basically has said that he expects that it will be released in 2018, that he still has a few months of work to do on it, and he didn't give a date or anything like that. So <laughs> so don't get your hopes up, that people. That sounds about for, right. Uh, <laughs> sounds pretty... He yeah. also said he was going to try and finish it before season six. Yeah, he also said he was going to try to finish it before Halloween of last year. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, before no, season, season six. six. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he's working on another book as well called uh, Fire and Blood, which will be sort of like a collection of fake histories of Targaryen kings. And uh, that may be released next year as well. So we may have two Game of Thrones related book releases next year. And I'm hoping that he's been working on A Dream of Spring in secret along with The Winds of Winter and that he will end up dropping both of those simultaneously before the final season of Game of Thrones. But that's just a fanboy's hope, people. Fanboy's hope. 
I wouldn't bet. <laughs> I wouldn't bet the bank on it. Yeah. No, <laughs> definitely not. I will not be, uh, you know, placing for bets any gold or silver. Um, another little interesting thing I saw in the news is about the intro sequence of this year's season of Game of Thrones, where when you when it goes up towards the wall, you know, the whole intro is kind of covering the map and the different places. We have the Citadel on the map at this point, and it which is new this season, but when it goes up towards the wall, this relates toward to Sandor Clegane's vision in the fire last week. Apparently, it seems to show the sea where the wall meets the sea at the east, at East Watch by the sea. It seems to show the sea frozen up there. Mm. So that could be uh, like a, a bridge. sort of bridge for the walkers to, uh, to make their way around the wall and avoid the magic that's not but, good. Um, yeah, I seem to remember water freezing as they approach anyway. So I'm wondering if they could just create right. an ice bridge for themselves just by approaching the, the sea. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it seems to show the sea frozen up there, which is, uh, you know, foreboding. Get a dragon up there to just breathe disastrous. on it for a while. <laughs> yeah. Stand yeah, there. Drogon, melt! <laughs> Dracarys! And that is it for the news this week. Awesome. Yeah, great. Yeah, that was that was really fun to hear. Nice. Okay, yeah, it's gotta be weird for you. <laughs> <laughs> now it's time for no, I appreciate it. That was awesome. Now it's time for Raven's calls. <laughs> All right, Nick Quinto says this show gives me the best fucking chills. Yeah. <laughs> me too, man. My my goosebumps on my arms are crazier than this show. Audrey Strahd says, so awesome. I can barely contain myself till the next episode. Me too. Same here. Rima Joe says, girl power continues with four strong women talking strategy better than most men on the show. Be a dragon will be my new motto. The scene that stuck with me the most was Cersei and Quyburn with the dragon skulls. When that giant arrow pierced the dragon skull, it gave me absolute chills down my spine. Don't touch my dragons. No, I'm worried I f- about I felt, the dragons. Yeah. I felt personally attacked when they did that. Desecration mm-hmm. of history is uh, abhorrible to me. That's true. Yeah, that's like the worst part of that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, speaking of that, um, there was an interesting discussion I heard which regards the Citadel, um, which seems to be the equivalent of the you know, the historical, like the library of Alexandria, where you have the greatest collection of knowledge from all around the world. And the uh, Archmaester Ebros had said to Sam last week that, you know, the maesters serve as the, the memory of the seven kingdoms. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Yeah. That they seem to, you know, they're no matter what they, they've survived everything and he wasn't too worried. I'm hoping that this does not foreshadow the destruction of this library. Oh God. Which Me would too. be so brutal to watch. It's like the Dark yeah. Ages. Because yeah. uh-huh. it seems to mirror the Library of Alexandria, like a yeah. portside library, that all the greatest collection of history and knowledge that the world has ever seen. And what happened to the Library of Alexandria? It got burned to the fucking ground. Yeah, that's mm. that right? that hurts to think about. Yeah. It, yeah. it does hurt. And we're still and we're still suffering the consequences of that um nowadays. But uh, yeah, that's something to watch for. Hopefully the Citadel will not be destroyed. I heard there was, yeah, the early iPhone designs in there, but it got delayed like 300 years. 
Yeah, like 2,000 years. (laughs) It's probably better than if that's the case, but... (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's true. (laughs) Eddie Gilbert says, can't wait for next... Or can't... Can't... Can't wait next week for John and Auntie D. Auntie D. <laughs> wait, she's his aunt? <laughs> it's like I'm not even watching the same show as everybody else. <laughs> Anyways, um, Lindsay Borton says, whoa, tension between Danny and Varys? Hmm, I'm pretty sure Varys will be taking the heat of Euron's attack. Ooh, interesting. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Like, well, bad idea. Tony yeah. Eichholt says, how did Euron know to ambush Yara? That is a good question. Yeah, I've heard people are yeah. speculating that there may be a spy in Danny's company. I mean, that would be better than mm. just the writers going, and eh, let's just have him show up there. Right. I think that um, Dragonstone is relatively close to King's Landing, like really close. It is, yeah. So if you set sail from King's Landing, you might have to pass that fleet. Um, to get anywhere so it, oh. it's, it's not plausible it's not implausible that they could have just stumbled it upon set up it. a blockade or something yeah but he knew what ship those specific people were in it seemed because that was a very targeted strike so well he knows like he his has... fleet maybe well i guess he's true. been gone a while but true he, he does know his fleet. identify it yeah yeah he probably saw yara's ship at the king's moot Okay, Derek Pacheco says, I love that Ilaria will be the gift brought to Cersei by Euron. Vengeance for killing for the killing of Marcella will be more than enough for Cersei to accept Euron's proposal. Euron versus Jaime incoming. Hmm. Who's left for Dorne? Does this mean that there's a void at Dorne as well as the twins? It's a good question. Yeah, I don't think they had picked up the Dornish uh, army yet, right? But the question right. is, who's left to rule it? Vacuum and leadership. Right. Interesting. But that is a great point about, I didn't even think about that, about bringing uh, Alaria because she killed right. Marcella. Yeah, yeah, I hadn't considered that either. That was a really good either. idea. And interestingly, um, with the whole Euron and Cersei proposal, the Jon Snow Daenerys potential proposal would be a great mirror for that. You know, two psychos getting married <laughs> in King's Landing and two, like, level-headed people who care awesome. about small folk. Yeah. Yeah, getting hitched out at Dragonstone. <laughs> what if there's a twist and Jon Snow marries Cersei? <laughs> <laughs> well, that would just be... That might be the show where I'm like, well... Uh, I don't know. Or they just all get married, all four of them, and it's just... Like, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Polyamory. Yeah. Um, all right. Joe Fletcher says, I like that the show is giving the Lannisters a fighting chance. The, sorry, my, my old lady eyes, the once one-sided Danny and her army took a big hit tonight. Yeah. It won't be as easy as she probably envisioned. Yeah. There's going to be some changes. I'm thinking. Yeah. 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 It's got it. I mean, I, I was feeling almost like this episode feels like it's setting up for this season to be the last season. Um, so a lot of shit has to go wrong to bring yeah. us to the next season. I would say, I think it's <laughs> going to get worse before it gets better. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Angelica Garcia Decker says Theon really reeked the fuck out. It's <laughs> <No. laughs> a great phrase. Totally did. Claire Johnson says if Theon had made a move, Yara would be dead before he took two steps. 
and then Euron would laugh and kill Theon, <laughs> which is absolutely correct. So if yeah. one of them was going to survive, Theon had to jump ship. Yeah, and, I. He may have saved her too. Yeah. Yeah, because he he took her as a hostage, prisoner, right? Prisoner, whatever. Um, Ariel King or Ariel Ariel King. Uh, my heart broke a little for Arya tonight. Mine too. Yeah. I have a feeling that Nymeria is going to be within Somehow, reach, though. Yeah. You know, they were going to need that that Chekhov's wolf pack to show up at some point, <laughs> and they will. I don't know. I feel like that was a letting go, but you could be right. Pake Allen says, "Are you realizing that John was in Winterfell again? Actually, made me tear up just a little bit. Sansa and John reuniting was sweet, but if Arya and John reunite, that's when I'll straight up cry." Oh, and here's where my really sad theory comes into play, because in the in the I think in the show and definitely in the books they often remark and that Arya is very similar looking to Ned's sister Lyanna. So it could be a really really tragic parallel if considering the close relationship between John and Arya, if when they're finally reunited. John is only arriving to Arya in time to watch her die. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so that would suck. Lindsay Borton says, on a more icky note, why in the world would we transfer from pustules to pot pie? Ooh, that's even better than pus to pot pie. <laughs> Good job, Lindsay. That was very nice alliteration. She says, I happen to be eating dinner while watching this. I'm not so hungry anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Rein Drogmuller said, I didn't realize how much I missed hot pie. <laughs> I, I I'm rewatching season pie. two hot right pie. now, so I just got a dose of hot pie a couple of, like, <laughs> like two nights ago. <laughs> <laughs> Santos S. Sanchez says, The Jorah scene was by far the foulest I've ever witnessed. The worst part was I was just sitting down with my dinner in front of me. The cutaway to the next scene did not help much either. Yuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no eating dinner. Michael Torzidlo says, did a rewatch recently, so it was awesome hearing Tyrion and Jon Snow talk about their meeting that was literally six years ago. I agree. Yep. Super cool. That was uh, one of the most enjoyable parts of the first season was the pairing of Tyrion and Jon Snow, in my opinion. I like their chemistry. Jesse Daniel, Littlefinger's life needs to be threatened more often. I enjoy seeing him squirm a little. Arya's encounter with the wolves was a nice nod to her line last week about the wolves and the sheep. And I'm so glad the sand snakes are gone. <laughs> Do them. Yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of people are going to be uh, happy about that. Her next email comes from Travis Sigler. Hey there, this is Travis Sigler from Portland, Oregon, tuning in. Holy hell, what a climactic episode. Just off the top of my head... My favorite part had to be the imagery of sibling roles in this episode, especially the role of older brothers. Here we have the king in the north choke slamming that slimy git Littlefinger, <laughs> threatening to kill him if he touches his sister. And then come the conclusion of the episode with Reek, yes he is back, <laughs> jumping ship, abandoning his sister. I thought he was on path on a path of redemption. How about that Jorah scene with the transition cut? Anyone fancy grayscale bread pudding? Ugh. I loved Tyrion speaking up for Jon. The next, uh, the meeting next week is going to be a song of ice and fire. So true. Anyways, I hope you guys enjoyed my Jon Snow cosplays I sent a while back. 
and my friend's band Seven Kingdoms and my wolf dogs. Keep up the awesome podcast. Night Aww. gathers. Yeah, he's got a badass wolf Thank dog you. named Grey Wind. Oh, you can look sweet. him up on Facebook. Grey Wind the wolf dog. He's Grey like ninety percent wolf, wolf or something. Wow. So that's yeah, part no, of his cosplay then, right? Yeah, and uh, his friend's band Seven Kingdoms is a a, a Game of Thrones band. Awesome <laughs> metal metal band like amazing. symphonic metal. There, yeah, female singer, amazing guitarists, really good uh, music. So check those guys out too if you get a chance. Cool. Um, cool. Yeah, thanks, Travis. And yeah, next, yeah, if if, if John and Daenerys meet, that's a song of ice and fire starting right then. So mm-hmm. so cool. Good observation. Or if it was Pat Benatar, it would be fire and ice. <laughs> Sorry. I'll, I'll take your word up. for that, Melly. We'll put that in the interlude, interlude next week. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for um, the suggestion. I'm actually going to do that for sure. First time they meet. <laughs> yeah. Nice. That's great. <laughs> That's like my karaoke go-to, so I will sing the shit out of that song. Um. All right. This is from Nick Dabrowski. Can you see Danny being a villain at some point, and do you think that the White Walkers can be reasoned with? Remember, Craster was left alone by them as long as he gave them his sons. That's true. Mm. I didn't think about that. Thanks for all Ooh. your hard work and can't wait to hear more from, more from you guys. I can't talk. Wait. Oh, I, it's kind of like, I an, can't like a Fargo accent or something. More from you guys. <laughs> okay. More from you guys. Yo, I have a, an interesting response for this email. Um, it does seem, based on Craster's situation, that the White Walkers can be reasoned with as long as you can provide them with something they want, which was, in Craster's case, the capability to create new White Walkers. Um, remember last week, Cersei was talking about a dynasty to last a thousand years, right? And her kids are dead. Her, she and Jamie's kids are dead. So they, you know, the dynasty would, she said, it'll, it could be for us. We know that White Walkers can live a long time. We know that humans can be turned into White Walkers by being touched by White Walkers like the baby did. What if Cersei decides to team up with the White Walkers in exchange for immortality? Oh, God. <laughs> that seems pretty far out to me. If it happens. <laughs> Especially considering she's one of the furthest people away from the White Walkers at this point. Yeah. But... Mm. We did see um, in Danny's visions years back the throne room just destroyed and filled with snow. So winter does get down to that level, apparently. So who knows, man? Who knows? Yeah, I think Craster was giving them uh, his babies, and they were like, "Good, we're building up our army. This is how right. we create more White Walkers." It seemed that's what they were doing, or at least creating whites. But they're just building up their army, waiting for winter to come so they can come down and kill everybody, Craster included, probably. Maybe what Cersei would have to offer would be the other half of a pincer attack from the south. When the the dead could attack from the north, she could attack from the south and help them to kill everybody and expand their army. Maybe in exchange for doing that, they would grant her the gift of White Walker-dom. Wow. That seems like a different show to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah that me would be, me again, too, that's but. A that's a, right. I don't think it's likely, but. Yeah, they there. should have a spinoff that's just a sitcom set fully in the White Walkers realm. <laughs> a sitcom? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I don't know. 
I guess Hodor would definitely have to be a White Walker in that in that show if that was the case. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, Hodor, did you grab that baby from Craster? Hodor? <laughs> God damn it. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> okay, now we have a couple of calls. First one is from Kristen Howe. Hey, everybody. It's Kristen Howe. Um, I wanted to just talk about this episode for a second. I went to bed last night just buzzing. My, I, I just, it was... So amazing. I don't think that I've audibly squealed that much in <laughs> a long time. I just, everything that I've wanted to happen is happening. Um, you know, Melisandre telling Danny about John um, and just getting that storyline rolling was just so, so exciting. But the, the one thing that I really, really loved um, that, you know, you'll probably talk about perhaps, hopefully, um, is Tyrion and Tyrion's loyalty to Daenerys. I, I, I think it's, it's going overlooked a little bit just because of everything else that's happening right now. When he took that unsullied, um, I don't know, chess piece and he knocked over the Lannister lion and put it on top of his home, Casterly Rock, as a way to beat his own family that's sitting on the throne and in King's Landing right now. I just thought that that was such a testament to how far he's come and, and how much he really believes in Daenerys. Um, and, and, and I just don't, I don't know how much I like the queen of thorns whispering in Daenerys's ear right now, telling her to be a dragon and not to listen to Tyrion and, and, um, you know, I, I don't know how much of that is fueled by revenge for, you know, the decimation of her own family. Right. That's um, true. Good point. I really think that she I, I really hope that Daenerys um, kind of takes a step back and, and realizes how all in Tyrion is and, you know, how valuable he is. You know, he did run this kingdom and he ran it well. And and I and I really hope that, you know, she takes his advice and also we are going to see Casterly Rock. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Right? <laughs> oh, man. I'm excited wait. for that, too. I want to yeah. see the Unsullied and the Dothraki just... <laughs> <laughs> knock over all the lions and, and pull down all of the grapes or banners or whatever you call it. I don't even care how it happens. I just... Oh, I can't even wait. Oh, my gosh. I can't even wait. Anyways, I hope you guys have a wonderful week. I, I I can't even wait until next week. And I'll see you in the message boards. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye. Bye. Kristen. Thanks, Kristen. Nice. Kristen's awesome. Yeah. So he is, Tyrion's totally, I mean, not Tyrion, Daenerys is totally following Tyrion's advice right now. She's, she's with him. Right. And I don't. I agree. I'm not too stoked necessarily about Elena whispering in her ear, but on the on the positive side, I don't think she was necessarily saying anything negative about Tyrion himself. She actually complimented him and said that he was clever, and uh, she basically just told Danny not to, uh, you know, be a sheep for other clever men. Basically, like um, it wasn't necessarily didn't seem like it was necessarily as targeted toward Tyrion as it was a message for Danny to be her own person and, and to not do what other people say necessarily. But that's Danny's strong point is that she's one of the few leaders that we've seen who listens to everybody's counsel and then either chooses the best option laid out in front of her or, 
picks the only option picks the option that only she can see, which provides a better solution. So I'm, I'm counting on Danny to continue doing that. And if she does that, I think that she'll find Tyrion's input to be valuable. So I'm feeling confident with the Tyrion Danny situation. I, I think it's a little charitable. I, I agree with everything you said, except I'm not sure. Uh, I think Olena was saying you should be ignoring Tyrion right now and just going in fighting. I think that's what she was trying to say. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, or maybe, or at least, I mean, there was also sort of an empowering aspect to it, which is like, right. just like you said more, just Do follow your, your own thing, yeah. But I don't think it was necessarily against Tyrion personally. It may have been against this current strategy, but not against Tyrion as a person, as no. a Lannister. Well, as a man. I mean, she made a yeah. point to say <laughs> ignore men, and he was the only man in the room right. laying out the strategy. <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't That's about funny. him personally, but it was him being a member of men. men. It's evil men. Men, men, evil. men, 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 lovely men, wonderful men. <laughs> That's a great song. All right. And then we have one more call from someone who didn't leave her name. Here we go. Hey, so I'm just on my way home from work and listening to the podcast and I just had the craziest idea and thought I would spitball a little bit. Um, what if the dragon glass can actually turn the White Walker somehow back into regular people? They all team up <laughs> to fight Cersei with Daenerys and Jon Snow. <laughs> Probably no. far-fetched, but I thought it was some food for thought. Let me know what you think. Thanks. That's a good idea. That'd be so cool. They're they're all they're a that... bit decomposed, but maybe it would like rejuvenate them to like human again, like fully put together. <laughs> I, I we saw know. that Benjen w- had the process halted from oh, yeah, Dragon right. Glass. Yeah, but mm-hmm. uh, you'd need something else to bring them back and replace all those missing teeth and arm, right. you know, fingers and stuff. Maybe they could be <laughs> hijacked with fire magic. Right, because um, you know, there's like the there's the the white switcher, ice whites essentially, and then there's dudes like Jon Snow and Beric Dondarrion who are essentially fire whites. Um, you know, dead people being propelled by the magic of the Lord of Light, as opposed to the uh, whatever ice magic is powering the, right. uh, the, the whites. So there Just seems to be like two sides of this coin. Intercept the Wi-Fi signal and. Hack yeah. it, kind of. Yeah, have the Lord of Light <laughs> hack into the, uh, the the Lord of Ice's <laughs> Wi-Fi signal and take over those drones. <laughs> All right, that's our show, episode thirty-one. Thanks for listening, everybody. Thank you guys for coming on, as usual. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. it was fun. Oh hope you enjoyed it if you guys want to give us a call you can call us at 813-563-3739 that's 813-JOFFREY if you'd like to write in you can email us at game at podcastica.com check out our Facebook page at facebook.com slash g-o-m podcast and be sure to check out the other great podcasts at podcastica.com. Also, another good way to send us a voice, a call, is just record yourself using the voice memo app on your phone and send it to 
and email it to gameoutpodcastica.com. Those sound really nice, good. Yeah, nice high quality audio. Yeah. And please check out patreon.com slash Jason Karen. We have some good rewards on there. And if you're part of the message board, you'll find a lot of uh, other raving Game of Thrones fans. Yeah. <laughs> Next week, it's Game of Thrones Season 7, Episode 3, The Queen's Justice. Which oh. queen? Yeah, good question. I guess we'll find out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's our show. Thanks for listening. Are you a sheep? No, you're a dragon. Now be a dragon. I like dragons.